Hi there, and welcome to the Grief and Rebirth podcast. I'm your host, author and trauma survivor, Irene Weinberg, here to encourage you wherever you are in your healing journey. In each episode, I chat with incredible grief and trauma specialists, healers, mediums, and celebs, as well as remarkable people who have inspiring healing stories to share. If you're looking for a podcast that's both uplifting and inspiring, you've found it. Let us help you find your joy in life. Hi, everyone. I hope this finds each of you so very well. I'm speaking to you today from my studio in West Orange, New Jersey. Absolutely delighted to have this opportunity to interview Molly Wisegram, a gifted author who will be speaking to us from Fort Pierre, South Dakota, where she lives with her husband, Chris Maxwell, and their four children. Molly earned her undergraduate degrees in English and psychology and her master's degree in communication studies from the University of South Dakota. She has also studied with the Centers for Spiritual Living and graduated from its Spiritual Practitioner Program. Molly's debut book is titled The Other Side of Us, a memoir of trauma, truth, and transformation. It tells the inside story of her husband Chris's devastating illness, how she and her four children survived his deep decline in health, and it shares both Molly and Chris's inspiring and remarkable journey towards his truly miraculous recovery. I'm looking forward to interviewing Molly about her real life story of the power of positivity and perseverance, how she transformed adversity into opportunity, her faith that carried her through and her miraculous healing to rebirth and so much more. And just in case all of you are wondering, this handsome fellow who just joined Pretty Molly is Molly's husband, Chris Maxwell, who surprised me today by joining in on the podcast. And I totally welcome him to chime in as I ask Molly probably too many questions, but I know that you're all going to totally enjoy this fascinating interview. They have quite the story to share with all of you. So Molly and Chris, a warm heartfelt welcome to Grief and Rebirth podcast. Thank you so yeah. much, so, so much for having us. Thank you so oh. much. Uh, glad I could join. I am too, Chris, truly my <laughs> pleasure. So let's begin with, with both of you or Molly, would you like to tell us about your lives together and your four kids before Chris got so ill? Absolutely, absolutely. So. Um, Chris got ill. His diagnosis of Guillain-Barre syndrome happened in February 14th of 2019, Valentine's Day. And at that point in our lives, we were just kind of a young family trying to get acclimated to four kids. Um, our baby girl was eight months old at the time. And we had also three boys before her um, at the time, eight years old, <laughs> six-year-old, wow. a three-year-old, and then our, our baby girl. So, you know, every time you add a child to the mix, you're kind of learning again, like, oh, <laughs> we've kind of figured out how to do the uh, parent, you know, being parents of three 
And then you add another one to the mix and then you're trying to figure out how to be a parent to four and as well as juggle the things you do, work and life and literally feeding and <laughs> bathing and getting everybody <laughs> on a good schedule. So we, you know, we were in the midst of that kind of wonderful chaos, but it's, it's chaotic. Certainly weren't thinking um, that our life was about to take that really dramatic U-turn that it just Who would? I mean, what happened to you is just like so incredible. My God, my my goodness. Mm -hmm. Well, Chris had a very rapid slide into the rare disease called GN Bure. And I have to tell you, I worked really hard to be able to pronounce that. <laughs> GN Bure syndrome, which question become, are you ready for this, everyone? A quadriplegic on a ventilator in a matter of days with no promise of full recovery. So how did you and the members of your family cope with the painful details of this tragedy striking when you least expected it? I, I think for, for us, I mean, really it's first information. Um, Chris had evidently been experiencing some symptoms, but relatively minor, maybe a little mysterious, some tingling in the hands and feet. Um, was playing city league basketball, maybe feeling a little bit less coordinated, but easy to say, I'm just getting old. I was 42. It was happening. Oh, you were really <laughs> over the hill. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, um, it was really with information. I mean, at first it was just kind of a, a shock, but okay, what information do we have? And, and when I say shock, it was Chris let me know one night that, hey, I'm just not feeling the best. And I was like, okay, um, are you gonna go to the doctor? I kind of challenged him with it. Like, what are you gonna do about it? Cause <laughs> we got all these kids and I'm gonna go take this kid to the bath and this, you know, whatever. And he said, yeah, I've got a doctor's appointment tomorrow. And I was like, wow, that is impressive. So, okay, sounds good. Not my usual MO on going to the doctor. Definitely. You know, you <laughs> I'm getting that feeling, right? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. that, you know, from there it was, no big deal until suddenly I could sense in Chris just some real anxiety. And I even asked, do you want me to go to the doctor with you? And he said, yeah, actually I do. And that just, from there we had literally, Chris had a full day of tests to the point of everything looking really pretty good, but our physician really saying something doesn't add up with the way that you're speaking and in the way that some of the things I'm seeing while the tests are coming back, it normal. I just, I don't feel right about it. I think you should get a spinal tap next. And honestly, wow, that, that is point, scary. Right. And at that point I was like, oh, we're totally going home because <laughs> once it, I mean, who wants a spinal tap? Yeah. I would just say, let's see how it goes. And Chris had no hesitation. And that's, you were scared. Yeah. A yeah. little bit of a oh, awakening. What's going on? It, absolutely. And you know, it was, uh, as you start fear dreaming, as I started fear dreaming of these strange sensations and these strange feelings and, 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 and starting to sense and know something's wrong, but not knowing what is wrong. And even when something came back, right, having that not feel right, you know, that hopefully the good news of this test, not showing anything, still knowing something was, was feeling wrong. Um, uh, it was odd for me to just succumb and give, you know, uh, kind of, uh, give into the process and, and odd, uh, an odd kind of, um, 
example of what I was going to have to do very much so down the rest of the path, mm -hmm. but definitely a feeling that I had at that moment before we really knew what it was. Before you were, you even knew what it was, you were already experiencing having to let go and oh. give, give your, you know, let whatever was going on, which is so frightening when we feel we're losing control, right? Oh, and, and, and it is so frightening. And at the same time, we were so blessed. I mean, you know, talk about being able to have gratitude at an early point in the process of something very uh, um, uh, just unnerving or, or, or setting you off kilter to have such care and such, such love and such, such um, support that came into our life. Uh, a, a physician that was a friend who was, you know, investigating it to the nth degree to find out what the problem was to get to the bottom of it. Not everyone's gifted with that when they go through what we went through. And so um, uh, we were lucky that it only took a day to get to the bottom of it. it that's true. A lot of uh, folks with Yambre might go to the ER several times over a couple of weeks. Right. Um, so that day, was it that day or like the following day that you were diagnosed? The following day, because he had us, uh, he had Chris overnight for observation in the hospital. I mean, literally, even that spinal tap came back clear. But he, oh. he was, yeah. he was really, he said, honestly, I just feel really, something's not right. And I don't want you to go home and have really a traumatic situation in the middle of the night with your four kids and a and at the time we were just like, this seems so crazy. Like, why are we doing this? But so we actually said, it's, I think we're going to be fine. Like, let's just kind of, let's, we'll, we'll see if we can, he can sleep it off. And then literally went home to see the kids who were being cared for by my parents. And it, he walked in the, in the house and literally said, Molly, we have to go back because he was, it was almost like you said, it was like a drunken stagger. You couldn't, couldn't quite control your legs and something oh how scary awful. how awful mm -hmm. yeah it was it was like i was, could feel myself aging it's like it's like i just it was aging uh, rapidly my god uh, right in front of us it, it was it was uh and, and so it was a uh, a feeling of losing more control and just just not wanting to be in that that uh, uh space of how are we going to get me to a safe place if we need to and what a thing to happen in front of your kids too so that was probably yeah. smart to go back so when did you find out what it was? How'd they figure that out? Was it that night or the next day when you slept at the hospital? The, the next day, the physician came in early that morning and kind of did a reiteration of here's, I mean, it's a, it's a new physician to us. We hadn't seen him the day before, but he reiterated, okay, here it went through our chart. Here's what's happening. Here's, here's the symptoms. Here's the tests. And I consulted with neurology and he, he tested Chris's reflexes in his knees and there were none. And he said, this confirms that we believe this is, is Guillain-Barre syndrome. And we're going to, you know, most people can, you know, you might have some therapy, every case is different, but most people come back to live to, to their life and recover. And we're like, oh, okay, well, we can do this. He said, and we're going to life flight you to, <laughs> to Sioux Falls where it, three hours away where the, um, tertiary care center is. And at that point, <laughs> that's where like, first we're like, oh, whew, okay. And then it was, oh, well, um, we're getting, I mean, this yeah. is, this is pretty, 
this could be traumatic, traumatic, <laughs> severe. I, I'm not <laughs> sure the, the which one we're going with. The strange situation of like having comfort that I don't have tumors in places that are causing pressure and and it isn't the cancer that I was fear dreaming about as all of this was happening to getting that diagnosis to then realizing we're gonna have to get care flighted away and having to succumb to this process. Um, it was a strange letting go and uh, uh, unknown place to land. Amazing. Is this a virus? What is? It's caused by a virus. It's caused by a virus. Or bacteria. Yeah. So it's or basically your, your, your system is triggered, your, your immune system. It's an autoimmune uh, uh, response or, or syndrome. And uh, your system is triggered or confused to attack your nervous system versus the virus or the bacteria that's in your body. And so, wow. so guillain syndrome attacks your peripheral nervous system. So, you know, all your nerves outside of your central nervous system and it starts from the outside in. So it's, that's why you get tingling in your toes and feet and, and up through your legs and then into your fingers and it works its way into the center of your body. Oh my God, how scary. Well, Molly, when you got that diagnosis, you looked into Chris's eyes and you said, this is going to be the best thing that ever happened to us. <laughs> what consistent shared understanding did this statement represent for you and Chris? And how did it buttress each of you through your heartbreaking ordeal? Yeah, that's not a probably a very typical thing to say. And it's not huh. something- I would think not. <laughs> it's not something I just came up with. This was, this was sort of a practice of ours. We had, you know, everybody has challenges in life and we'd had a couple of our own prior to this, but we'd also had the gift of really um, some really deep personal and spiritual work. I mean, years worth of it and both very jointly interested and passionate. So certainly I didn't come up with like, oh great, we just got a diagnosis. This can be awesome. <laughs> um, it was really about digging into that belief system that all is well, even when it doesn't appear well, and that the growth that you are inspired to do through these difficult times are making you exactly who you're supposed to be for the exact right time. And it was really just a framing. It was, we, were, we had been pretty um, careful and intentional about the way we framed things. So what I'm thankful for is that we'd had that practice. I didn't have to come up with that in one of the more difficult times of my life. We had been practicing that. And I'm so thankful because it did create a different way of looking at our experience um, throughout what became shy of a year's hey. worth of hospitalization. <laughs> Chris, were you, I know Molly went to a spiritual center. Did you, were you spiritual when you guys met or was this something that you grew into from knowing Molly? Yeah, you know, I, I, I think we both, um, we both grew up with great modeling of, of um, faith and, 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 and belief, having a belief system. Uh, and then we, like everyone, started going on our own paths, and we did it individually uh, before we met each other. And then, as we, uh, you know, as we grew together, uh, you're still doing some of that individually, but we started having our joint spiritual paths. Together. Probably drew you together because you you saw the world in a similar way. Is yeah, that absolutely. right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. 
So I was going to ask you, and I'm wondering if this is what sustained you when you had to know Molly and Chris. I mean, Molly had to sustain your diagnosis, balance the well being of your four kids, aged eight months to eight years, advocate for Chris's business. What was your business, Chris? So people know. Uh, it's a it's a management and consulting firm. So she had, so she had to do that. I'm sure that was not exactly her expertise. Yeah. And worry about your financial stability and more. What is that? What sustained you? This positive way that you looked at things, Molly, without having four nervous breakdowns with what you had with. Interesting. You kept. You know. You asked what? How did you cope? And I've heard Chris say a couple of times. I. I was, I just continued to be challenged to let go. And for me on this side of, of the, the caregiver side, I guess, I found myself wanting to um, hold on tighter. I wanted to con control what I could control and be very intentional and thoughtful about that. I couldn't see beyond the headlights, but I could see what was within that space and I could make the best decisions that I possibly could. But absolutely from a sustaining perspective, when you continue to make the choices that, that are within your realm to make, you can continue to learn and you can then continue to somehow expect that something good or right or big is supposed to happen through this experience, that it's not just this victimhood, that perhaps there's something really powerful in it and kind of trusting that that, that may be true. I think that's sustaining. I think that's amazing. And I have, to, I have to give you many kudos for that because most people would go right into the pity pot and you didn't do that. You, you, you really sustained yourself and, and coped and what you were going through was both of you, each of you in a separate, in a different way, we're going through horrible challenges. She is, she is one part superwoman. So, <laughs> I mean, she left that part out, but she, she is one part. One part well, there has to be out. something to say about you too, if she chose you though, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's nice of you. I didn't, I didn't say that for that turnaround there. No, I mean, it's okay, but you really, you're a lovely uh, couple, really. But I mean, you know, I mean, I mean we, we've had that mindset and, and we built and grew it together of, you're, you're always in choice and, and right. you, you get to find that place to choose how you respond to it. And that's kind of that everything is for us. This is the best thing that is ha going to happen to Absolutely. us, could have happened to us kind of place. Um, and so that allows you to, to make choices that are for your best and highest. And uh, I know Molly really, really, um, uh, the getting control of everything and getting her arms around everything was so much of it. Um, and she also let go and she let people support her and support us and, and had to trust in so many things and, and not being able to do that uh, or having the ability to do that can, can, can push you into that pity place and that place of, of overwhelm. I mean, I can so relate to it because there are so many elements of my story, which our listeners know, our viewers know about my story and what happened to me and the way I chose to handle it once I became more enlightened to what was it was all about. And I really admire what you did and I totally relate to what you did. So my next question is to please talk to us about what you learned about changing your perspective, which you called looking through the proverbial glass of those who love you. I feel like 
perspective is something that, you know, is a gift, you know, especially through adversity, right? We have our lens, like, and, and we have our range of seeing, and there's, there's, there's nothing to apologize or to be boastful about. It's, it's where you're standing. And I feel that adversity sort of stretches your perspective and in a way where you just can't help but see things a little differently, even from the way that you might appreciate where other people are coming from because of their vantage point as well. Um, I feel like this, this glass, looking through the glass of how people see you, to me that that's something from the book that comes from the idea of communicating kind of in crisis. For me, what I learned when you're going through an experience like that, it, I mean, it, it became a very traumatic um, moment by moment thing that was actually happened for a long time. So Chris ended up on a ventilator within five days. Um, yeah, this is good. Like, tell us about the journey because I know um, there came a point where Chris couldn't even speak anymore and you created a very clever way to communicate with each other. So take everyone through the trajectory of the things that happened. Yeah, yeah please. We were, we, we were in the first um, brain and spine unit for five days as Chris was really brave and losing his body, Lo losing literally the thing that you so identify with, all of your function um, from arm and leg movement. I mean, by the by the time we were flown to Sioux Falls, um, he there was no more walking for Chris. So heavy, not even just heavy legs. Like he might, he, maybe he could stand for okay. a day or two. Yeah. yeah. But even to the point where he could not no longer use his hands, lift his his elbows, hold on to a you know fork, eat by himself. All of a sudden, not able to uh, go to the bathroom not able, every time you take a sip of water, you're, it's, you're not sure you can swallow to the point where Chris talked about this band around his chest, basically. And, and it felt like there was this band. And, and with Guillain-Barre, every case is different, different levels of severity. Chris ended, ended up with a really severe case. So this band around his chest was him feeling his diaphragm no longer, it no longer activating which was then a, a really traumatic, traumatic wow. moment where you see someone not able to breathe anymore and you're screaming for help. And um, he ends up being taken to the ICU and, and intubated. Wow. The waiting place, I find it to be one of those really tough spots, mostly when you're trying to control something that you are no longer in control of. And we ended up being in a waiting space with Chris, who, by the way, was totally <laughs> conscious, um, not able. You're a prisoner in your body. You basically were yeah. present. You're cut off from everything you could think, you could absorb, but you were my God. And so, like for you, also how how you sustained yourself through that. My goodness. It it became a strange dance with reality and wanting to connect and communicate and and have. Um, it was a, a dance of holding on and letting go and finding those things that, that kept you connected to that vision and that thing that mattered most to you and also letting go because there was going to be journeys off into the unknown, uh, you know, mentally when, when I, when I would not be with it in ways. And my, I mean, the, the, 
the physical change as well as the mental change, the things that my body was doing and the nerve, the nerve, the nerve connections falling away and how that impacted things mentally and physically. It, it was, uh, um, uh, it was quite the journey. Uh, you know, it, it's long read story. About it, it's, amazing. it's amazing. I want you to describe how you communicated with Chris mm -hmm. when he could no longer speak. That was quite when, when we dramatic. Yes, yeah, there's only so long you can really, you know, you have an awake patient who can't speak, who's in incredible pain, and all you can do is guess what he's thinking or needing. So um, it's, it is, you're desperate for a communication method. Um, speech therapy was extremely helpful in suggesting that we tape a laser pointer to his glasses, hold up an alphabet board, and see if he couldn't spell out his thoughts and needs and Wow. And he could. And in fact, he's incredible. Um, <laughs> I, I was hungry for it. I could, I just, I just, I wanted it so bad. Uh, um, uh, I'm, I'm a talker at times <laughs> and, and I like to communicate and I like to engage and I like relationships and, and, and being in that place, um, uh, I wanted it. And it was just such a gift. Wow. I mean, you must have been frightened inside of yourself. Like, is, am I going to die? Is this going to be all that there is too? Or did you have a, an abiding faith that you would get through this? Well, if, you know, if we go back to where it started from and, and, and the, the doctor giving me the diagnosis of this is Gambray syndrome, which the great part about when they give you that di diagnosis is they tell you 90 to 95% of people can get back to close to where they had, had been before. So you and, had that hope. And so you get hope and they, they give you that hope. And I, and I've said many times, don't take anyone's hope away. I mean, I just, uh, uh, uh no matter what, uh, but the other side of it, as we talked about is, as my wife told me, this is going to be the best thing that's ever going to happen to us. And so I was in my head, you know, thinking about the book we were going to write and this great thing it was going to be. And that we were just on this journey together and, and it wasn't fun. Don't get me wrong. I wasn't enjoying no, it. Anymore, I know, but, but look at what you're going to help. I mean, people, you're going to help so many people with your experience. You, it, it, it was, it's amazing. It took nine months. You were in various hospitals and significant therapy, nine months before you became restored and miraculously able to walk again, Chris. So you two learned beautiful truths from this. Are there any special um, are there any of those beautiful truths you'd like to share with us? Special things that you learned together from this? Well, personally, I mean, there's several. Um, to me, um, I have a new perspective on suffering. And to me, suffering, the word suffering was just give me the creepy crawlies before this, like suffering is a mentality. And I actually felt, I mean, Chris and I went on this same journey, but very different paths. So I can really own my path. And it's so hard to understand, even though I, I was with him the whole, every step of the way, the path that he went. But um, I think it's fair to say that we both suffered and, and it was suffering, but I think, I think it's about depth. I mean, it's in, in my book, I talk about like suffering is that that sand shovel just digging a hole is deep into your heart and it's grainy and harsh and it hurts but I also think it's creating an opportunity for depth within you to to see different to feel different and it's scary and uncomfortable but to, to trust that depth serves so to me I have a new way of of seeing suffering I'm not looking forward to doing it more 
and life, <laughs> I would think <laughs> right but I mean life life doesn't guarantee that you're not going to suffer in fact it kind of guarantees to some degree that you will <laughs> um but do we have to label it all bad maybe it's easy for me to say because I have my husband sitting next to me because and yet I'm, I think another beautiful truth is in some ways, we're not the same people that we were before, or we're very much the same people, but we have different stories to tell about ourselves, about what we're capable of doing about, for me, one of the most beautiful things that I, I experienced is to know my kids differently. And I, you know, this is one of these very hard things because Chris and I travel the same, the same disease very differently. Yeah. And Chris didn't get to be with his children for a year while I was getting to know our children in a much different way, a much, I don't want to say deeper, but it's. Well, you were bonding together through this crisis. Yeah. And they were growing up. And they were, they had to grow up more quickly. quickly. Exactly. Um, I think another one for me is, is this idea of community. I mean, community is a word that we're all familiar with. And the experience of community, um, the way in which our our family showed up for us, I'll never forget it. In fact, it'll be one of my great um, joys in this odd way to know that love. Uh, the way that our our friends and and the people that are honestly acquaintances in our small town, the way that they showed up for us, I'm I'm wholly touched maybe forever about, about that kind of connection and care. I had the same experience, Molly, because when I had the accident, a lot of people showed up for me and I was not used to, I was used to being a person who took, who took care of other people. Mm -hmm. And it was really an experience to let go and let, and have people help me. Mm -hmm. But I realized at one point it was also a gift to them Mm -hmm. because they wanted to do something. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it was also and they were learning from it also mm-hmm. yeah I can remember Molly coming to me when she was at that point of 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 uh, um, sharing that she was shared with her about let let them help you let them right. uh, let go and let them support you it's it's good for them because they want to they want to be able to to do something and it will be good for you as, as well and I can remember you talking to me about that yeah that's so the other thing that I'm in awe of the two of you, I so admire is that the two of you were open-minded enough to let psychotherapy help you, mm-hmm. I think individually and with your marriage. So would you like to share that with people? Because, you know, this is called grief and rebirth and this is all about healing and you really did it in every way that you could. You healed physically, but you also went to psychotherapy. So tell mm-hmm. us about that and how, and, and the change, the difference that made for you. Mental health mm-hmm. counseling is, um, I will advocate, I will, I will holler off mountaintops about the, the, it helped me so much when Chris was diagnosed. I, it took, oh, I think we were at the hospital for six weeks before I came home to, to care for my children because it was such a, a, a dramatic kind of catastrophe. We didn't know in which way we would be going that I, I literally couldn't go home to my kids to care for them. I knew they were safe. Um, with my family, but um, when I got home, one of the first things that I did, thankfully again, for community health care, I mean, people who are 
literally in, in the caring field to say, hey, this is available. Don't forget that this is an option. And I was always like, yeah, yeah, it's on my list. But when I saw my, my children, our children really kind of struggling in a different way than I had seen, different kind of acting out. And it was the, it was the clincher, like I, I had to do this. So not only did I go to personally go to individual counseling for myself, but we signed the kids up and we went, I went with fabulous. Them every week and, and they love it. In fact, I think helping, having that like instigating reason to go, I think as we continue those, re that relationship with counseling, like it, it can only help them because when you can name your feelings, when you can identify that you are having an emotional state or you can work through these things, it really has helped, helps adjust to all of the changes that we continue to have in our life. But I can't say enough about mental health counseling. Um, to me, that trauma was very confusing in that I just really, like I said, I kind of controlled, I tried to control as much as I could. That was the way I was staying upright and the way I felt like I was contributing. And I also kind of turned off my emotions at the time because they weren't helpful. They weren't serving me in the way that if I succumbed to all those feelings, which are feelings are great. They're just feelings, right? Like they're, but right. I think I could have, they could have buried me at that time. So my coping mechanism was to kind of stave them off. But then also with all those feelings staying within you and not expressing them, that could have brought about illness on your part. Absolutely. Absolutely. So counseling for me was the place in which I could explore, like, what am I doing? Like she, it was a, it was a great mirror. It was a great place to hold space for the things that I was thinking and feeling. And some of them very confusing and conflicting and some, all of a sudden I could be mad and then I would, you know, feel like down. And then I could be like, I'm thankful for this. And I mean, I was all over the place, but it really helped put an understanding to me of, Hey, cope. Sometimes when you cope, and you do kind of shut things off it in maybe an anger feeling comes and that's kind of the one that's easier to access it it was all perspective giving in that this is sort of a normal thing like it, you're, you're traveling a path you're traveling a path of grief and these things pop up at, at certain points and this is just where you happen to be it was very um balancing it was not disorienting, it was orienting. It is, because um, I've been through it, I know. And you know what else it did? I mean, honestly, it, it's a gift you gave your children because they will always know, no matter what happens in life, that they have that as a resource. And a lot of people don't know that. Right, oh my gosh, it's amazing. It's not, it's, it is, it can change everything. And yet it's so um, non-invasive. I mean, I don't know, how do you look at it like that? I mean, you could, we can take, meds and pills and I'm not saying that's not an okay option but look how while it does create it does need some cause you to have some bravery it also is pretty non-invasive and then Chris when Chris came home we were really thankful that healthcare providers had it kind of gave us a heads up like the coming home part I mean you've had an amazing recovery we're so you know we're so proud of you and that your yeah. attitude and all these things but just so you know it's not always easy when you go home. Yeah, big adjustment. Not always easy. And so because I was already such an advocate for mental health counseling, um, we took on preventative <laughs> couples counseling. And um, 
you know, I, I can understand, you know, that's, that was an easy way for us to enter. And I can understand why that might be scary for couples if they don't have that easy way to enter. But again, what a beautiful gift you give each other and yourselves, because if you don't learn how to navigate conflict, trauma, because we both went through the trauma, we're going through those individual things. And then we're trying to push two of these, you know, blend two of them together. If this is a path you navigate, but it's the wilderness. Absolutely. It's the wilderness. It's, yeah, absolutely. So you came out of this consciously creating something even greater than you had before you went into it. So what did your rebirth look like? What was that conscious new creation like? What, what did you learn? What changed? Uh, we are fully still in the in the middle of it as well. So uh, I would say, you know, our rebirth started from me at the bottom, at the bottom of the valley, the valley of death, as we as as we called it, where we just said, let's just keep walking through that valley of death, and 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 that was kind of at that low point, and and so we we walked through my recovery, getting to this this point of coming home, but with that guidance and that that uh, um, direction from, from healthcare providers, um, it is a continual journey of coming back together. We've talked about, and Molly, Molly wrote in the book, uh, you know, trauma is a thousand points of separation and recovery is a thousand points of reconnection. And, and we're in the process of that reconnection. Uh, as, as Molly talked about, um, uh, she went through her own journey and I went through my own journey and we went through one together. And so these, all these separate experiences and, and um, uh, it's a continual journey. It's a continual reconnection. Uh, the trauma, I just really felt like pulled so many things to a acute point for us that maybe others are dealing with on their, without the trauma are dealing with in their life. And this mental health process, this, this ability to have this, therapy together and separate, both of us doing our own separate therapies, uh, just continues to allow us to churn up and work on the things that are going to matter most to us as we, as we spiral upward, as we have liked. I to think it's it. wonderful. I, 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 I is that we just want to fall forward. Absolutely. I think it's marvelous. I really, I, I, it's admirable. And I hope people are really listening because it's so, so wise what you're doing. I again had the same kind of experience at some point in my life. I like so totally with you on what you're doing and what you went through would pull a lot of people apart and what you're doing is bringing you together in a beautiful new way with new understanding and compassion. And that's coming from the outside help you're also getting. I think it's just wonderful. And the beneficiaries, your children, mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, your family. I think what, I have learned up to this process so far because it is, I mean, you're constantly healing from life, but what a, what a gift, right? I mean, it's about coming home to yourself. I think that's, you know, like you can't contribute as much as you can to a, a relationship until you come home to yourself as well. And so it's kind of that constant coming home. Um, so you can give your very best to all of your loved ones. Um, there's, there's a, I've talked about this in my book of, you know, we were kind of, we were ripped apart at the roots. I mean, we'd grown together. We've been married for over 15 years and we were ripped apart and we learned that we can survive. I mean, we, we survived that. And then we're transplanted back together and that's an effort. 
but that's a that's a true um my my our daughter the other day picked a dandelion and she's three and she blew it out i said what did you wish for and she said love true oh. <laughs> and I thought, at first i said whoa disney got to you girl <laughs> and then i said wait there's something so beautiful about that it's this play on true love versus love true what an actionable yeah. and beautiful gift when you can love true and and that means to 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 the deepest levels of authenticity in ourself to right. what we bring together through in our transplant that's and, beautiful and when you go through the the grief and the rebirth like it is a loving loving true of each other again it's a it is a restart and it's a rediscovery uh, it's a, and a re rediscovery and, and we are in the middle of it i mean we're still figuring out what pulled us apart and how we've been pulling apart and how we're coming back together and um it hasn't been hasn't all been easy and it's been there's been a lot of surprises in there for us and there's things that continue to pop up and I think the key is just to keep walking and that's what we're working on doing is just continuing to move forward together. It's, it's well, I have that. Go ahead, yeah. Molly, go ahead. Well, I don't know if this is what other people will feel, but what I think I've, I've noticed, at least in our experience, in it, and I'll own it for me, is that, you know, this trauma really tears you apart and it's a, it, you go down word slide. And then in, our, in Chris's recovery, our recovery, there was this building up, back up, and then you come home and it's almost like you kind of dismantle, you're dissembled again into just pieces and you're then putting it back together. I almost feel like that second decline or slide down is where you almost dive into your deeper issues even before the trauma. And, and what that is, while difficult, is, it, is the opportunity. Yeah. Right there oh. is the opportunity because we live in a whole different ways of trying to kind of navigate around the things that hurt us at one point and, you know, trying to not have that hurt again. But this opportunity to, to, while it doesn't feel good to be dissembled, this intentional opportunity to say, how do we, I'm going to, we got to, we're going to put ourselves back together in almost the, I don't mean the right way, like there's only a one right way, but in a way that's the, the truest for us in, in my, in our expression of, you know, there's a real opportunity in that. It takes a lot of patience and it's not easy, but no. the opportunity is great. It's what, is this what you call the hero's journey? <laughs> the, um, the hero's journey. So we, I played around with that because the last chapter title, my, my chapters turned into a poem, which was kind of a, a neat realization to see this, but it's really about the idea of that home is is the destination. It's always the destination. I mean, the hero's journey is a, a Joseph Campbell idea of like always having to leave home in order to become kind of dissembled, to have a great challenge, somehow come back home anew after you've conquered the challenge to figure out how do you integrate what you learned and who you are now. And that to me, what I didn't realize um, until I was really diving into my, kind of my epilogue, actually, that last chapter, we made it home. But now the great opportunity and the great challenge is to figure out how to, what to do 
with all that you learned on the journey, all that you became on the journey and how you, I, cause I truly believe you don't take that journey as a, like just a, a bad detour. If you look at it in a different way and say, I became who I'm supposed to be for my next thing. Then there's a, again, there, there's the reason why you open yourself to who you are now in, in the healthiest way of thinking. Look what you're doing now. Yeah, you, and you know how many people you're reaching through this podcast and, and you're inspiring all of them and you're teaching them about the value of counseling and the, and the value of, of your positive attitude and all. It's so important. And what's really admirable, Molly, is you wrote on the blackboard of your kitchen, room to heal. Talk about mindsetting. Mm-hmm. a reminder to live happily ever after and that it's a continual process what would you like to tell us about the importance of healing and knowing that living happily ever as you've been saying is a continual process mm-hmm. um well i think the room to room to heal was really a reminder to all of us you know we have four little kids but it was a reminder to myself as much as it was to chris this is not an easy thing to come back in and I'm not saying that without the full recognition of our amazing recovery. And I say our, I mean, Chris's amazing physical recovery, our amazing, I mean, we, we did not lose everything through this terrible journey. So, and yet you still come home and it's, and it can be difficult. And then there was COVID and all of the other things that were happening uh, basically uh, upon Chris's return. And I just wanted to think we're, we're finally, I want to live under this illusion of safety again. You know, like this Guillain-Barre kind of popped that like naive bubble of safety. Yeah. I want to go back to that a little bit, but I think this idea of framing and that idea of all of this, even when it hurts is part of giving yourself the grace and the space to work through putting the puzzle back together. And and when you can allow that patience and that grace for each other, for yourself, um, allow the magic to happen because it doesn't always happen overnight. There's once again, a huge opportunity and, and just a really important reminder that it takes time. And yet then you suddenly a year later, you turn around and you think, wow, look how much has happened. And then three years later, you go even more has, you know, like it's, this patience and this attitude of healing. Healing is, to me, there's sort of this post-traumatic growth kind of opportunity. And and that is how I wanna look at healing. I wanna look at it as in, you know, my, my soul was refined in a very difficult way for, for a reason. And I'm going to continue to make those next best steps to what is, what is healing. And to me, in some ways that's about deep authenticity, recognizing like for me and Chris, I I think it's fair to say like when, when we had to start coming to this idea of healing, it was how were we coping beforehand? And I coped through control and making sure everything was just sort of in its spot. Chris coped amazingly enough with positivity. Like, again, I'm going to protect my space. Don't take my hope away. I got to keep going. I'm going to take my momentum forward, right. not be pulled back. And then you start to go, wow, we're now in the same, same home, the same space for the same objective. 
and my rigid control and his powerful positivity somehow are bumping into each other. So how do we now take off our armor piece yeah. by piece? And can we call that growth? Can we look at it in a way that's not, we're, we keep bumping into each other, what in the heck is going on? Can we look at it as this literally is taking down armor to the vulnerable parts of us, which are scary to expose because there was reason why we put that on armor on. Of course. But I think it's been interesting for me is, as I, like I said, in counseling, kind of turned off some of my feelings in the recovery part, what I realized is until I started to embrace maybe sadness a little bit, because I didn't want to feel sadness. That's probably why anger would come up faster. I was protecting my sadness because that's what would cripple me. If but I you would feel the most vulnerable with that. Absolutely. Sure. I, I realized that I really think feelings are on the spectrum. And if you don't allow that sadness, you don't quite get to feel the joy either. So mm -hmm. this has been a very, very interesting um, allowing kind of creating this, the safety for that vulnerability, for that sadness to come out in, in an odd time, but then get to reap the benefit of a fuller range of emotion. And honestly, that's worth it. It's very freeing. I know it's really free. Your book is so wonderful and I can't recommend it more highly to everyone who's listening to the podcast. So tell us all the ways that our audience can connect with you can get your book. Um, yeah. Let it go. Let it rip. Go. Sure. The, probably the the kind of the one stop spot that I'm going to share my website, and that's mollywisegram.com. W e i s g r a m. Everyone. Exactly. Yep. Uh, mollywisegram.com. I have a a blog there. That's where um, you can be directed to purchasing the book. Um, my, where my social handles are as well. So that, that's probably the easiest, mollywisegram.com. Okay. And Chris and Molly, what is your tip for finding joy in life? Well, I'll go. I'd say gratitude. Just gratitude. absolutely being grateful, grateful for all that. If there's one, I've told people if there's one thing I learned right away at, at the bottom of that valley of death when I really was kind of coming back to consciousness was um, you could look left and look right really quickly and see people that had it much worse than you. People where, where relationships didn't show up for them or where their health was worse or what, you know, all kinds of reasons. And, and uh, um, I just realized how grateful I could be even in that lowest moment where I had let go and lost, you know, all those things fell away. Um, gratitude, gratitude, gratitude. And Molly, have you got something to add to that? Or you are well, ditto, I, ditto, ditto, ditto. <laughs> I, I am ditto. And I think, I think there's something about um, being really careful about what expectation you're bringing. And when I say careful, I mean, well, I have a post-it note on my computer that says, just wait, this is going to be good eventually, basically. And the idea is if something comes onto your plate that you're not thrilled about, instead of telling all of the stories about the reasons why it's awful, maybe allowing space and maybe some trust about how it might serve you somehow, some way in some bigger purpose. So wise. Molly, I just love this quote from your book. 
the other side of us. And here it is. I hoped we'd never take our lives for granted again. I hoped that we'd always recognize that we live in choice. And I hoped we transcend the before, making something greater in the after. The Other Side of Us, a memoir of trauma, truth, and transformation, teaches that a belief in something bigger is key. Purpose is paramount and hope is powerful. Thank you both, Chris and Molly, from my heart for sharing your incredible journey of uncertainty and trauma towards deep truth, growth, healing, and transformation leading to rebirth. Many in our Grief and Rebirth podcast audience now surely want to read your raw and inspirational book that will no doubt stir and encourage them to the depth of their souls. And here's a reminder, everyone, that you can see the show notes and all Grief and Rebirth podcast episodes on IreneWeinberg.com. And make sure to follow us and like us on social at, at Irene S. Weinberg on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. As I like to say, to be continued, many blessings, and bye for now. Mm -hmm.